Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience heal your heart while refining your character and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Usually when clients come in, they have their own backstory, depending on gender, depending on upbringing, family of origin, their relationship experiences, and a number of other variables that have impacted their brain and their physical and emotional experience, psychological experience with sex. So I always want to know their backstory. And then as we are coming out of broken or the end of a relationship or broken marriages and hurt, etc., we're all going to be very hungry for different things. So I always want to know, what are you hungry for? And oftentimes that will tell me a lot about what somebody's looking for in their sex life. And in that conversation will naturally lead into, well, what does sex mean to you? What is it about sex that you enjoy? What is this, what is it about sex that's been upsetting, frustrating, hurtful? What have you? Um, what do you want to change moving forward about how you handle your sexuality or your sex life or what you want from a lover? How do you want to show up differently as a lover? Welcome to Healthy Romantic Relationships, where we invite you to consider exactly what you need to know about yourself and your new partner. Learn about the foundational pillars and dynamics of healthy relationships and how to give and get the love you want. We speak with experts about communication, personality and attachment styles, sensuality and sexuality, and when to consider remarriage and perhaps a blended family. If you're yearning for a healthy, vibrant, romantic relationship post-divorce, we're here to support you. Welcome to another episode of Healthy Romantic Relationships. Today, we're discussing the psychological aspect of healthy sex, how your past experience informs your future pleasure. We're exploring what is the healthiest way to engage your sexuality as you enter dating and healthy relationships. And with me today is a new and dear friend of mine, Carissa Kay. 
Carissa, just a little background, is a sex and marriage therapist located in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes, mm-hmm. sex and marriage therapist in the Bible Belt. Yes, <laughs> yes, makes her unique right there. Um, she's been pra- she's been in practice since 2011 and currently owns her own private practice, uh, which is named I Love Us Relationship and Intimacy Counseling. Carissa also loves traveling, spending time with loved ones, and is working toward her PhD in clinical sexology. I am really excited about today's conversation. Welcome, Carissa. Thank you, Karen. It's a huge honor to be here. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. And Carissa and I have enjoyed a couple of podcasts in the past with a mutual friend, uh, Clint Powell. So Mm -hmm. a shout out to him and uh, his podcast, which is During the Break. Go check Mm -hmm. it out. Yep. And uh, Carissa, tell us a little bit about how you ended up on the path of being uh, a sexologist or a sex therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Sex therapist. Yeah. Um, sure. Well, originally I wanted to, I wanted to pursue tropical disease medicine, wanted to live in Africa, wanted to be medicine woman, like Sean Connery's medicine man, except with female parts and, um, got to visit Africa one summer in between my, um, sophomore and junior year of undergraduate school. And got over there and was actually really bored. So I'd spent like years daydreaming about working in Africa as medicine woman. And, I, and then I was able to uh, participate in a 17 day long trip with women who are already in medical school. And we were able to practice in uh, the capital of Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, and uh, work with epidemiologists and the, the physician who oversaw most of the AIDS treatment for the Horn of Africa and work in the jungles and the pharmacies and in surgeries. Um, and once the patients were asleep and unavailable cognitively, I was really bored. So I came back and did a lot of praying and soul seeking, soul searching. And one door opened to the next. And I feel like this was where the good Lord above ended up leading me. And he kind of said, you know, the doctor thing you had, but it's more a doctor of the soul. And then when I got to grad school at the end of our, um, our introduction to the, to the program, that summer, they said, get ready. We're so glad to have you. And we're going to turn you into doctors of the soul. So here we are. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fascinating. Pretty. That's exhausting. quite the confirmation. Too, yeah, isn't it? it is. Cause I thought that's a little grandiose, but then when the academic Dean shared that at the end of our um, introduction, I thought, okay, I'm exactly where I need to be. And how do you connect the dots for us? Like what is like, being a sex therapist and doctor of the soul, how is that connected? Cause that's an interesting statement. Yeah. So I, you, when you and I were discussing this podcast beforehand, I had talked about, you know, informed consent as a therapist when clients come and interview me as a potential uh, resource for them as individuals or as a couple, I'll share with them that faith plays a really big part of my understanding of healthy sexuality and intimacy. Um, so with that being said, from a faith background, I believe that we are spiritual, physical, emotional, psychological, relational, right? We're not just one part, we're many parts. And I believe that our spiritual is probably the biggest part. And our spirituality connects to our identity, our sense of purpose, our sense of why we are here, what we're supposed to be about every day, 
what do we want to find in our relationships? What are, what are the purpose of our relationships? What is the purpose of sex? What is the purpose of connection, of attachment, of union, deep union? Um, so for me, it's all connected and sexuality is ultimately one of the deepest unions that we as humans can have with one another. And I think it points back to a greater union that I believe um, the greatest spiritual being longs to have with us as being made in his image. So does that make sense? Well, not only does it make sense, but it's the most fascinating introduction to a conversation about sex. I think so, like, but not everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. because I think that so often we don't we don't expect um, when we're talking about this topic that mm-hmm. it's introduced in this 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 safe container of spirituality, which is mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. sense that I just got from what you said. Oh, well, good. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe I'm jumping ahead too soon, but I think that's why so much of our culture is so disenchanted with sex and dating and the dating culture and dating after divorce and trying to get back into sexual union is once you remove the spirituality of it, um, I believe it's devoid of some of its richest, most deep meaning. And that's why so many people are left feeling like, what am I missing? Something's missing here. Um, right. that's been my experience is when we just, you know, dumb it down or dilute it down to just pleasure or the physicality or power control, whatever it's become in our culture, we're all going to walk away going, Oh, I wish there had been more. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you don't know what it is. It's just, it's just your left lacking. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, and that's such an interesting thing is, yeah. it, and it is, it's such a, a deep, it's such a deep physical connection, but if it's only a deep physical mm-hmm. connection, then yeah. um, then it's very um, it's missing all that multi-dimensional aspect yeah. that you just described. Yeah, yeah, and I think it plays into the passion that we experience in it, right? If I'm tuned into the spirituality of it, I mean, John Eldridge is one of my favorite Christian authors, and he's in his book Desire. He has a chapter in there, I think seven or eight, that talks about the grand affair. And he says, um, he quotes some of the old, the old uh, wedding vows. He said that leave our current wedding vows lacking. And some of them used to be with my body, I the worship. Mm. And he talked about in sexual union and marriage, the idea is sex is the closest thing to worship on this side of heaven. And that's why so many of us are so drawn to it is because ultimately we're so hungry for worship and deep, deep connection and passion. Right. Yeah. So. Here we are talking to an audience of individuals who um, who have uh, faced the end of a marriage, who have yeah. navigated the the very chaotic and emotionally mm-hmm. uh, tumultuous season mm-hmm. of divorce, and are now someplace at the precipice of starting to date or they've been dating and they're about to like, you know, lock in on a, a, a committed relationship again, wherever they are in the path. Um, what we know is there have been, there's been wounds, there's been yeah. dysfunction, yeah. there's been heartbreak. Yeah. Um, I'm going to really, uh, I'm going to really invite you to, to guide this conversation in some ways, sure. uh, Carissa, okay. because what we spoke uh, just, just our last episode was with um, a therapist who talked about mm-hmm. sensuality and, and the, uh, the senses coming alive. And that sensuality mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. about delight in the senses, yeah. which I thought yeah. was fascinating and Absolutely. not necessarily 
necessarily sexual. And then yeah. we have you coming on the mm-hmm. tail of that. Yeah. Um, so, so how do we begin to talk to this audience about um, uh, maybe reimagining um, what, what sex is and can be or what they want it to be? How do we begin that conversation? Well, I'll take it from the perspective of if I was sitting with a client who was going through a divorce and talking to me, I'm trying to get back into dating. Usually when clients come in, they have their own backstory, depending on gender, depending on upbringing, family of origin, their relationship experiences, and a number of other variables that have impacted their brain and their physical and emotional experience, psychological experience with sex. So I always want to know their backstory. And then as we are coming out of broken or the end of a relationship or broken marriages and hurt, et cetera, we're all going to be very hungry for different things. So I always want to know, what are you hungry for? And oftentimes that will tell me a lot about what somebody's looking for in their sex life. And in that conversation will naturally lead into, well, what does sex mean to you? What is it about sex that you enjoy? What is it, what is it about sex that's been upsetting, frustrating, hurtful? What have you, um, what do you want to change moving forward about how you handle your sexuality or your sex life or what you want from a lover? How do you want to show up differently as a lover? Usually, and I'm sure you can speak to this way beyond what I could, Karen, when people are coming out of a divorce, if they're intentional about their healing, they're doing a lot of identity work and a lot of self-reflection, right? And so like that's major identity transformation or has the potential for a lot of identity transformation. So a lot of the time that looks like evaluating or reevaluating how, how, what, how have they handled their sexuality and moving forward? What do they want from a lover in the future? Does that make sense? It does. And yet I kind of want to challenge whether or not this piece is addressed very often. Okay. So, so, so when we're working with our clients, you know, and we're talking about communication and boundaries and, and, and judgment and expectations and all of these things. So we're really embroiled in the mental and emotional realm of divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they, a person could be doing a whole lot of work on that front. Yeah. uh, And then kind of, Right. Sex is that thing that the, we don't talk about too much. We don't talk about sure. publicly. Maybe we don't. Sure. Even, even as you're asking the questions, I'm like, do I know myself that well? Right. Do do most people know? And most of us going through graduate training. That's why I really appreciate about my graduate training, the Institute of Sexual Wholeness, is we had to write our very first class was human sexuality. And we had to write our own theology of sex. We had to write out after going through the class and reading all this literature and theoretical concepts around, you know, the design of sex, what are the purposes of sex, et cetera, et cetera. We had to sit with our own theology and most of us don't slow down to do that. And it's as we, you know, you and I have talked about pain and pleasure are the two greatest motivators. So it's usually a lot of pain before somebody slows down and says, why is this happening? And then we have a chance to work backwards and kind of go, well, let's talk about theology of sex. And what do you really believe about yourself? And what do you believe about sex and what do you think you deserve? What do you not think you deserve? You know, a lot of people don't think they deserve pleasure, especially a lot of women. A lot of women have been told that their pleasure doesn't matter. They don't deserve pleasure. It's all about their male counterpart, et cetera, et cetera. I think honestly, the pornography, the porn industry contributes to that. And that's the main source of sexual diet for most people anymore. So there are just a lot of paradigms 
that I find aren't really sat with and evaluated meaningfully until there's a lot of pain uh, or lack, if that makes sense. Like people have to get really, they're like, oh, this doesn't work for me anymore, which is usually what brings us into therapy, right? Like this isn't working for me anymore. Something's got to give, something's got to be different. And I heard, I heard you recently on, I think it was a podcast with Clint talking about the, the hookup um, culture, culture. Thank you. And, you know, and one of the things that I think is really interesting is um, the feedback I've gotten over the last decade or so is a lot of times you're getting out of a, a marriage that perhaps hasn't been alive sexually in a long time or you've been having sex even though you don't want to just to calm the waters or whatever the case may be and so so I've had fellas say I could literally go out and get laid every night Karen like and and I'm not even that good looking but but you know there are all these middle-aged women who are out there and they're and they're they're starving right there's like and and I think I spoke to you about this I said it on the last show it's like I was certain that my woman was dead my eggs were crusty and old there was no juices flowing through this body anymore. Like I was like, yeah. I was in my, and I'm 60. I was in my yeah. mid 40s at the time. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm done because I hadn't felt anything for so long. And then yeah. I was in such an unhealthy relationship in general. And, and I was definitely one of those um, wives who was, it was easier to have sex and avoid the argument. And so I was doing something I didn't want to do. So here you bring all of those wounds and confusion and lack of self-understanding to the table. What do you do with all of that, Carissa? Well, yeah, that's a big deal. So again, from my experiences for men and women, there's going to be a significant difference in how I would approach that. And the reason being for females, you know, our sexuality is deeply connected to relationship most of the time, unless in the cases of addiction, compulsive behavior, um, out of control, sexual behavior because of substance abuse, et cetera, et cetera, or trauma, like trauma reenactments. A lot of people are reenacting their trauma through their sexual behavior. And that's more compulsive but not in those cases. Usually if a woman's numbed out or um, she's just going through the motions, she's shut down emotionally and cognitively. So you and I have spoken about this, like the human brain for both men and women is the most powerful sex organ. Skin is the largest. Our skin, our integumentary system is the largest, but the human brain is the most powerful. And so when I work with women, especially in long-term monogamous relationships, because the research has shown women can show up a lot like the stereotypical male sexuality at the beginning of any relationship, like we're bunnies, I'm excited, I'm initiating, let's go. This is so exciting. It's the thrill, it's the dopamine, your brain's on like, I can't get enough. And then at about year two in a long-term monogamous relationship, women kind of pivot into a more neutral role according to research where they're more responsive. There's, it's a more um, responsive sexual arousal cycle, which I can try and point you to later if that's a relevant um, resource here. But um, so in that, that responsive cycle, it, it becomes much more about mindfulness for women being aware, being intentional, being available and the relational foreplay throughout the day, throughout the week becomes much more significant. So how you talk to me outside of the bedroom, how do you make time for me? Do you have, do you offer me non-sexual touch or is it every time you go to reach for me, it's because you want to get in my pants. Like I have so many women that will pull away from their partner and stop kissing 
because it means he just wants sex. And outside of sex, he's not trying to kiss her very much or rub her shoulders or hold her hand or just be affectionate for the sake of affection and making her feel safe and secure. So if I'm working with a woman, I'm going to want to know all about that. And then, you know, with emotional pain, Dr. Cloud, the guru on boundaries, talks about there's a there's a spectrum and on the spectrum it's pain hurt anger pain hurt anger and eventually because the human heart can handle despair for i think he said like a millisecond we go numb and numbing is a coping mechanism because the human spirit the human psyche the human heart can't handle pain for too long especially big emotional pain so in order if i'm going to stay in this relationship because i signed up and i'm committed and i vowed etc cetera, etc cetera, even though I'm being abused or neglected, et cetera, et cetera, I better just numb out, not feel anything. And I'll just go through the motions. So a lot of people numb out as a coping mechanism. So to heal that people have to grieve and they have to work their way back on that spectrum. And that's where therapy, grief, all sorts of stuff and sitting in the healing process really comes to play. We have to work through the icky, big, painful feelings in order to come to come back to life in order to feel joy and pleasure because grief you know, like with the pandemic and COVID and the loss of a lot of loved ones, I have a lot of clients that have just had so much complicated grief. They've shut down sexually and they're in the brain. If the brain's the most powerful sex organ and my brain's overloaded with gray, you know, I like colors. If it's overloaded with too much gray, you know, eroticism is, is color. Like I love this colored stuff behind me, right? It's like vitality. Like Esther Perel talks about eroticism starts with a sense of self and it's all about being vibrant being alive, being like having this vitality. And that starts with you as an individual. Well, grief will shut all of that down. So if it's grief because of a divorce, if it's grief because of loss, if it's grief because of untended to hurts and traumas with your partner, your sexuality is going to follow suit. Right. Does that make sense? You know, it it does. And it reminds me, you know, uh, I often refer people to Brene Brown's um, Mm -hmm. TED Talk on vulnerability. And I Mm -hmm. love that she says you can only experience joy or pleasure to the same level that you allow yourself to experience the more difficult emotions. And what you just said just sounds so hardwired right into that. It is. Yeah. We talked about that in uh, graduate work. You know, we talked about sitting with people on their pain if all of us could selectively shut down the bad emotions and only feel the good ones, most of us in the helping profession, at least in mental health, wouldn't even be in business, but we can't do that. So if I'm going to shut, if I'm going to shut down one, they're all going to get shut down. That's the problem with like the SSRIs and the Lexapros, et cetera, et cetera, is people are like, Hey, I don't want to feel sad and anxious anymore, but now I don't really feel happy or joy or arousal anymore either. So I just feel numb. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. 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 So so I would love for you um, because we we do have many male listeners as well. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. Explained the female approach. Can mm-hmm. you talk about how you would approach the same situation with a guy? Yeah. So, again, it's going to be individualized. So sometimes because men, on average, if they're healthy physiologically, usually have about 15 times the amount of testosterone in their body coursing through their beautiful masculine veins that a woman does. Um, men peak at 25 and every year after that, we found in the past before the highly processed sugar diet and soy intake, it used to be that men would, um, decrease in testosterone levels by about a percent every year. And by age 40, sex would usually pivot for men. And it wasn't just about orgasm and the high of the dopamine and the testosterone rush, but it was more, it became more relational. Well, now there's a lot of stuff going on with our diet and lifestyle in America as far as hormone health and men having lower testosterone at earlier ages, et cetera, et cetera, which will play into erectile dysfunction, 
low energy, mood, irritability, et cetera. So I always, depending on where a client's at, usually when people come in and they're going through a divorce or after a divorce and they're considering dating, I always want to know where they're at hormonally. So I'll say, can we just find out where you're at with your hormones? Like I want to know hormone panel, where's your testosterone at? Where, where's your thyroid at? Your vitamin D, your DHEA, all that good stuff. And if that's where it needs to be, then let's talk about the, some of the psychological stuff. So some, as is true with women, may go out and have this, I just want to have sex with all the things, all the people. Uh, and I don't think that, I think because that's often um, the testosterone overriding a lot of that, right? Testosterone is the main hormone that's responsible for sex drive and that hunger, that biological hunger. So a lot of men, and because of oxytocin, men will, when they orgasm with their partner, well, their brains will flood with 500 times the normal amount of oxytocin that's present before orgasm with their partner. And they've actually done interesting research with this. Men masturbating to pornography do not have the same chemical flood of oxytocin as they do orgasming with their female, their female partner. So for a lot of men, sex is their emotional conversation. So for, for men, I know, and so a lot of my work with men will, how can, will look like, how can we experience other versions of intimacy outside of sex? Because unfortunately, culturally, we don't teach men that they can have a lot of emotional vulnerability or intimacy in many ways. So most men in America are like, I can talk about work, sports, I can be angry, and I can have sex. That's really limiting as a human being, I think, right? I mean, we would never coach little boys that way, I would hope. Um, so anyway, so a lot of the, my time, a lot of the time I work with men is getting them to be able to talk about their emotions getting real with how the divorce has impacted them, the messages they've taken away from the marriage, what they're looking for in new female partners. Um, oftentimes, you know, scripture says it's not good for men to be alone. I see that a lot with guys is they're very hungry. They don't do well being solo. I don't have a lot of guys that want to stay bachelors for very long. Um, and so they'll hop in too quickly. And so my encouragement will be slow down. Let's process why the last marriage didn't work. So you don't find yourself drawn to the same person and repeat the same mistakes or you pendulum swing, choose the total opposite. And two years down the road, you're bored to tears because that's not really what you want either. Um, and then a lot of the coaching will be, you know, just so you know, most women get pretty connected when you have sex with them. So if you're looking to have sex without attachment, you're going to have to start having conversations like we thought, you know, old school DTRs define the relationship, like be very upfront about what you're looking for. If it's just, Hey, I just want to feel good. And I want somebody safe to like friends with benefits, like be forthright with that, be forthright about that. Uh, and, and just remain honest moving forward in that relationship about what you're looking for until you're ready to find commitment. But just know that oftentimes women get pretty attached and you'll have to kind of deal with the fallout of some of that. And I'm not sure you emotionally want to do that right now, since you're still dealing with the emotional fallout of your divorce. Does that make sense? That sounds like such sound advice that, um, I mean, really, no matter which gender you're talking to, it's just such yeah. sound advice because, and for women, yeah, you know, a number of the dating coaches and relationship coaches talked about how, you know, it's like, it's like getting high on crack. You're not exactly thinking clearly. You're not, no. you're not, yeah. you're not discerning. You're not making yeah. good choices because it's the just, sex was so good that yeah. like everything yeah. else is kind of grayed out. Yeah. Yeah. We have a special gift for you. 
Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. I think when we come out of a relationship, depending on what caused the divorce, et cetera, et cetera, the human experience is I still want to be chosen. I would still want to feel special. I want to be admired. I want to be affirmed. I want to know that I matter. And so coming out of a divorce, a lot of my clients have, I think the typical psychology, and you can speak to this if I'm er erroneous here, but the idea is who will ever want me again? And people are sitting with feeling like a failure and how did I mess up? And, you know, for men, if we're so, you know, a lot of men, then of course you don't want to feel like a failure. Like that's the ultimate, the ultimate uh, sin or wound for a man is to believe he's a failure. So they will take their sexuality and their sexual performance and their ability to please a woman to their, their bedroom life. And oftentimes the, that will kind of take off down a, the railroad tracks of, am I enough? Do you accept me? Because a woman allowing a man into her body is a huge form of acceptance. Like I'm pleasurable. I'm pleasing. You literally want me inside of you. Right. I'm enough. I'm enough today. I'm lovable. I'm acceptable. Does that make sense? So there's so much psychology to the act of it for people when they're grieving and wanting to feel wanted. Yeah. And, and I love that you're putting those words to it because I think it's, it's, uh, it's easy and there's a tendency to judge. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that person who's doing that thing is bad. And, right. and yet when you start saying, well, wait a second, if we could all just slow down and know we all, mm -hmm. we're all bringing some, um, yes. some brokenness, some shortcomings, some sure. fear oh, yeah. to the table that, that it, it just, it really helps us understand things more. And then mm -hmm. great for those who, who hire people like you and me, because mm -hmm. they get to work it through, but there's so sure. much going on out there out there that's just um the wild wild west causing a lot of um heartbreaking yes. issues damage. yes yeah yeah and that's something i guess you know that clint and i talked about and dr jordan peterson i mean he's like i said to clint he's more brilliant than most of us will ever even fantasize about getting to be but he says you know doc, he says the hookup culture is a farce it's based on a lie it's always going to be set up to hurt somebody. And he said, long-term, if you're going to hook up and sometimes the hookup culture becomes part of somebody's routine after set after divorce for a while, just to wait, sometimes even numb out pain, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit with my pain. So I just, if I have all these orgasms and skin highs, these skin hunger highs, I don't have to sit with my sad, big feelings. Right. Um, so that numbing out of hooking up, hooking up, he said, you have to kind of dehumanize people after a while. And psychologically, that's not healthy. Like to dehumanize yourself, to engage in that repeatedly yeah. and to dehumanize your partners, like long-term, that's going to work against a satisfying monogamous relationship. If that's what you want down the road. Right. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, I think that makes so much sense. And, yeah. you know, we I, I want to talk about this piece that um, you mentioned to me, which is um, how our past experience informs our future pleasure. And and so um, I want to talk about it in general. And I definitely, especially with females, want to talk about the amount yeah. of trauma that such a large portion of women have experienced in the bedroom. Yeah. And, and how does that inform and what can we do differently now that we're, you know, in this a later, more mature part of our lives, going back out into the world and, and wanting love and connection and intimacy. Okay. Well, just my preface for that is that's literally could be a week long lecture for eight hours a day. The content. You've got you 10 minutes. <laughs> so, so just for the listeners and for context that this is so layered and there's so many beautiful facets that are complicated and not just simple. Like well, I gave a, I presented at a workshop in Michigan recently and it was two days long and people were so frustrated because they wanted me to touch on all the things and make it all relevant for both genders. And I was like, I'm in a PhD program and we study this every month, three days, every month, eight to 10 hours a day. And we just pick one of these topics. So it's just a huge broad thing. And I just want to share that just to kind of like validate, normalize, but also get myself off the hook for feeling like <laughs> I got to share all, everything because <laughs> that won't be possible, but I'll try and, you know, provide resources on the other end of it. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So what are we tackling? Uh, yeah. So, so the, the, the premise is that our past experience informs our future pleasure. Yeah. We've got those who, who have had healthy past experiences mm -hmm. and those mm -hmm. who have had more challenging ones. Mm -hmm. um, what would you like me to Well, so, so what does that mean for the person who does, who, let's say for the, the individuals, male, female, who aren't really dealing with trauma, what does that mean that that our past experience in, informs our future pleasure? Well, I would say that is just the human growth and development experience and brain pairing, brain priming, classical conditioning, kind of the Pavlov's dog thing. So if I grew up, for example, in a family of origin where touch is normalized, touch is normalized, touch is good. There's healthy sexual and non-sexual relationship demonstrated throughout the family. I'll probably enter into, and then I have healthy, boundary, respectful, honorable relationships moving through dating and into marriage. I'll probably have a pretty healthy sense of self and sexuality and boundaries and respect and give and take and shared power. Okay. That would be ideal for all of us. Most of us, unfortunately, have not had that experience. Most of us don't have parents that tell us about sex. So we look, you know, we're, I believe we're sexual beings from the inside out. So when we're young and going through sexual development, we're super hungry and curious and maybe self-exploring with masturbation and we're seeing pornography or boys and girls are inviting us into certain activities or cousins or family members. I mean, all that kind of stuff happens with sexual exploration and play. And there's a difference between sexual exploration and sexual abuse. So please hear me say that. Um, so we're developing as sexual beings. And then as we come into our erotic sexuality and adolescence and then adulthood and dating, all of those experience or experiences are going to train and reinforce to me certain messages, certain expectations, certain beliefs. And I will end up bringing that into my love life with my, my partner at some point down the road. So if I'm taught that my pleasure never matters, or I have several, several incredible guys that I work with that they show up and they have, they have always prioritized their female partner's pleasure 
but she has never given him positive feedback or gratitude for how he's shown up as a very servant hearted lover. And he comes out of 10, 20, 30 years of zero feedback. You can imagine he's going to be a fairly anxious, insecure lover moving into the next relationship, wondering, is there something wrong with me? Why wasn't I worth giving any positive feedback to you orgasmed and responded to physical pleasure, but there was never anything else. So, but you know, so if a man's involved in abusive relationship or a relationship where there's not a feedback, not a lot of feedback, or if a female is that will impact my expectations, my sense of self, and then how I'm going to show up with a sense of security and confidence or not in future relationships. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And the way that that could manifest, <laughs> there are 10,000 options and then some about how that manifests. And that's why everyone's individual story is unique in terms of like, that's why I want to know like a sex history. Like if I'm sitting with a client, I'm like, let's go through a sex history. If you're comfortable sharing that, like tell me about your early sexual experiences. What were the messages you were shared about that were shared with you about sex? And then what are the messages that you've received recently? Um, tell me about sexual experiences that feel relevant or things that were, you know, um, was it you? No, I was just before this, I had a supervision with some of my PhD cohort and we were talking about how, um, a lot of females, for example, are told to take on the sexual responsibility and sexual self-control for both partners, right? Especially in younger years, like um, if, a, if a young man is tempted, you know, and then they get out of a relationship, like one of my colleagues was saying when she was dating at 16 and they had broke up, the feedback she got from her partner was next time, don't give it up so easy. Maybe next time you shouldn't be so easy. Or I had a client recently that her um, lover said to her, I'm disappointed in you. I'm disappointed. You let me go that far. So, mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. so, so I want to know about all of those experiences and messages because all of that will teach me about my role and my responsibility in my sex life moving forward is your sexual self-control. For example, my responsibility. And it's, and, and you can just do whatever you want. Or oftentimes in the church, this has been a really, really poisonous message that people have been taught, both male and female have been taught. It's the woman's fault if a man falls or stumbles sexually. Men are just because kind of, of how you're dressed or what you look because, like or what yeah. you did or yeah. where you were. Yeah. Yeah. It's the scarlet letter. And men, honestly, the message is men have zero capacity for sexual self-control. They're just these sexual monsters that act like primates. And ladies, if you wear the wrong thing or you don't give it up enough in, in, in your godly duty to honor your husband and his sexuality and his sense of self-control, it's kind of your fault that he goes outside the marriage. That's on you. Yeah. How do we feel about that message? <laughs> that is so poisonous. <laughs> it's so poisonous, but that's very common. So I want to know about that. So I'm just giving those as ex very common examples with where I practice about the things that I want to know about, because that would be a psychology and a mindset that I will want to address with a client if they're willing to go there in terms of moving forward, what would it look like to set different boundaries for yourself, to not let yourself be objectified, to not let yourself be talked to that way, to ask for more feedback from your lover or to decide for yourself, is this a person that I want to get involved with sexually are, are do they demonstrate emotional safety and boundary honoring and other facets of the relationship that I would even want to get together with them and play naked. Do they feel safe enough for me to, to want to offer that part of myself to them? So a lot of boundary conversation and, and empowerment, being assertive, sense of self is often part of post-divorce conversation for me with clients. So 
I'd love to bring this down to um, some practical either questions or guidelines for our listeners. And so I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you've got individuals, let's say midlife, 45 to 65, let's say, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. average. And and it's it's been a while, you know, we've got clients, I've been married 12 years, I've been married 40 years. It's like they haven't been with somebody since they were you know, moments out of college or something like that. Somebody new, right? Yeah, yeah. What are some of the, what are either some of the questions that you would have them ask themselves or some mm-hmm. of the guidelines? I don't know if that's the right word, um, suggestions in terms of re-entering this mm-hmm. part of relationship. So it's one thing to go out and, you know, put your picture up and swipe and message and <laughs> do that first date uniform and go on yeah. the first date. But like when, yeah. whenever that is for an individual comes mm-hmm. to, all right, are we going to go there? Like mm-hmm. what, do you, what are, what's the guidance we can give them? Well, I always want to start with physical safety. So my first thing is, um, do you want to have a conversation with this new potential partner about STDs or SDIs? Those are very, very prevalent for sexually active communities right now outside of monogamy. I mean, HPV is prevalent in 60 to 70 percent of non-monogamous sexual activity right now. And several of those strains cause, cause cancer for women. So, are, you know, do you want to talk to somebody about STDs and STIs? Because that's a real thing. That's a real thing. So I always want to start with that, like biological safety, physical safety, right? Um, and some, you know, so a lot of education around that because some people, a lot of people are very ignorant about just skin on skin contact and how some of those are transferred and that things can remain dormant for years and not show up on a test, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of just helping people acknowledge the risk, you know, because sexual sexuality is like super fun and energizing. And our brain kind of, like you said earlier, dumps logic to the side, kicks it to the curb. is like, shut up. I just want to do what I want to do. And then on the other side, when somebody contracts something, they feel really bad and they feel dirty or they feel, you know what, they beat themselves up. So trying to help people think through those conversations before it gets too hot and heavy. Um, and then kind of saying, and then, and then helping people think through what do you, again, what are you hungry for right now? What are you hoping to find in your sexual relationship? What do you feel like you're searching for? Um, if this doesn't continue relationally, will you feel okay about yourself? Like if you were to share this with someone and, and, you know, invite them into the most physically intimate relationship you can have with another human, will you feel okay about yourself? If this is it, if there's nothing else on the other side, are you okay with the possible attachment that may come as a result of continuing in this? So really helping people kind of think through long-term repercussions of what I believe sexuality creates, which is bonding and connection and attachment. And if it doesn't happen, are you going to be even more heartbroken? And are you just setting yourself to be hurt? Or does this, you know, a lot of people, I think you and I talked about this when we were brainstorming, will uh, want to reclaim their sexuality by getting back out into that culture. And there's like the sexual reclaiming and that, um, I mean, to be blunt, that's a, that's a very self-centered perspective on sex, right? It's all about me and what I'm trying to reclaim for myself and my own psychology and what I'm trying to heal and make better for myself. So if you're going to a relationship with that mindset, just kind of helping them tease out, are you okay with the self-centered part of you leading the charge here? 
And sometimes when we get so focused on me and this thing, I'm trying to heal inside of me, getting attached or bonded or connecting can catch us off guard. I'm like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Dang it. Why am I thinking about you more than I wanted to? Why, why am I still wanting more of you? And why am I not content when I don't hear from you? Like we just had this amazing, hot, passionate lovemaking session. What it felt like to me, I haven't heard from you for three days. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. All of these, it's actually, yeah. it, it, you know, it's because it's so um, intimate and so connected to the heart, it's, yeah. it's playing with fire and mm-hmm. really, and, and how mm-hmm. do you do that safely? Especially so here we have this yeah. audience of people, they're healing, they're working on themselves, yeah. they're listening to the podcast, they're ready to go into dating or into mm-hmm. relationship. And it's like, what I'm hearing you say is this is an area to be uh, very mindful, um, very discerning and, and to proceed with caution um, because it's so important and because it can be so brilliantly spectacular when done the right way. I believe that. I believe that. I don't think culturally that's the message anymore, which is why people are using sex like it's a sport or just recreational but I believe that I believe if you ultimately want sexual satisfaction, you need to be mindful and you need to treat it like it's connected to your heart. And so many people are disenchanted again because of how I'll give a personal example. I give a real personal example, not about my sex life, but in high school, I made out with a significant amount of young gentlemen in high school to the point that, and looking back, I figured out what that was about for me, blah, blah, blah. Love the attention what needed skin touch that I wasn't getting et cetera, et cetera, um, from home. Um, well, it got to the point where making out didn't mean anything to me anymore. Like kissing, kissing the next guy was like, meh. And, um, I went on this little journey of like, you know what? I think kissing's actually really cool. And I want it to mean something. So maybe I need to go through a fast. So I took a five-year sabbatical for making out with anyone. <laughs> five years in college. Oh my God. In college, I went my entire college career, almost my entire college career without a case. Make it, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. And I dated some really attractive young East Texan gentlemen. Um, but yeah, that was an important thing to me. So the next time I entered back into a physical monogamous relationship, kissing had a lot of electricity. So, so to like, me, it seems like kissing is like, so it's so much more intimate than so many of the other things that yes. one does. Yeah. Sure. That's why it's in pretty woman. The way that yeah. she says no kissing, right? She's, we can do the sex stuff, but once you do the face to face, lip to lip contact and we're absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an example of sometimes if we fast from things for a while, instead of just using them to numb out or to just chase after the next thing, we can retrain our neurological pathways to experience and enjoy more electricity with, an, with another human being. And I think that's part of it. Does that make sense? But when we take sex and kissing and physicality and just use it with the next person and use it with the next person, yeah. I think we're just all going to be like, mm-hmm. it cheapens it. Yeah. 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 It dilutes it. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up, um, mm-hmm. what would be really, what I would like to hear is, um, for those who have experienced uh, trauma of one type or another, whether it was your childhood and your marriage, both, what do you 
what do you recommend um, one does before they re-enter intimate life? Yeah. Well, uh, one, I would say I'm sorry about what's happened to you. I'm really sorry about what's happened. Um, trauma changes us. Um, it changes our brain. It changes our nervous system. It changes our body. It changes how we react. It literally uh, molds us. And so until we heal our trauma, it usually ends up becoming the main decision maker for me, even if I don't want it to be, because trauma ends up becoming an instinctive response, a, a place of response when I have trauma. So fight or flight, you know, our, the brain it's the most powerful sex organ, but before it can even consider sex, it's designed to keep me alive and safe. And so if things have taught me that there is a real or an imagined threat and I'm in hypervigilance mode, or I shut down every time I feel overwhelmed, those are trauma responses that will keep me unavailable to myself as well as to a new partner. So um, we have also discovered that trauma is stored in the body. So our, our bodies are memory banks. They are memory banks. Like we have mirror neurons, we have imprinting that happens. We have acetylcholine that that sort that helps store memory storage, and so there are all these memories that get stored literally in our body. Emotions get stored in the body. Memories get stored in the body. I've had this manifest with client after client. It's fascinating. Like they will unconsciously tell me stories without like consciously being aware of who they're describing through their nonverbals. Like I had one woman years ago that was telling me about somebody, a perpetrator, and she started doing this. And I said, can I just ask, you've never described the person's face. Did he have any kind of facial hair? And she was talking about something not as, and she said, yeah, she said he had a goatee. Why? And her body was telling me about it. Wow. Yes. So there's a book called the body keeps the score, a book called the body remembers. So our bodies store all of that. And with sexuality, because again, it's so powerful. If you have sexual trauma, your body will always try to protect you from feeling trauma again. That's what our, that's what we're designed to do is we want to avoid pain and avoid trauma. So if you have that and you're ready to do the work, there are resources available. And I would strongly encourage you to do that. Even though it's hard, it's so worth it. Um, because otherwise that becomes kind of your orchestrator every day, the orchestra conductor. And that's exhausting, like living in your trauma body. So there are, you know, some people are aware of EMDR. It's a type of brain therapy, neurological rewiring. It basically uh, stimulates both hemispheres of the brain and it neutralizes distressing emotions as it relates to memories. So EMDR, my new personal favorite that I've been working on uh, in my own trauma work has been accelerated resolution therapy, ART. And you can get online and look up accelerated resolution therapy and it will say, find a therapist in your area. That is actually built on top of EMDR. And it not only helps rewire the brain and dendritic branches, et cetera, et cetera. They've observed it under microscopes and it's fascinating. Like you can see the new dendritic branches coming together to create new neural pathways. And that goes on for three days after a session. And I've experienced that because I'll wake up with insomnia after a session because my brain's like, okay, we're doing the thing. Um, so it's fascinating, but it neutralizes it, but it also moves the trauma and the emotion out of your body. And with sexuality, I always want some, you know, I want the human body for a person to be as healed and open and free to pleasure and positive new experiences as possible. So if you can do trauma work to move that stuff out of your body, let's go, let's do it. And then body work in grief is really important. So a lot of people will do swimming and walking. A lot of people really appreciate yoga. Um, petting animals has been helpful in terms of reducing stress and serotonin. 
uh, increasing serotonin levels, like petting your dog and walking your dog for 20 minutes a day, sunshine. Uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman out of Stanford has fascinating research on brain chemicals and optimizing brain chemistry. I would check out his stuff. Um, but yeah, doing not um, high intensity workouts usually is helpful for people like doing calm things that involve movement, you know, a lot of art, creative stuff. Creativity is very healing for the brain and trauma. Uh, dance. A lot of people get into different versions of dance, you know, um, all those things where you're moving, you know, Dr. Emily Nagoski, she wrote, um, come as you are and burnout. Um, she's brilliant in neuroscience studies as well. Her and her sister, um, she talks about how, when we move, we tell our brain, our brain is telling our body, you're not stuck anymore. It's not still happening. So movement in our body and empowering movements and healing kind, nurturing movements that is all telling your brain and rewiring your body to believe I'm not stuck anymore. I'm not a victim anymore. It's not still happening. So as we're doing the, the emotional neurological work, we need to do movement along with that and preferably right after. So I'll tell clients after a session or even during a session, let's walk and talk or, Hey, what are you going to go do to take care of yourself when you leave here? Cause all this stuff is going to be stirred up, stirred up. Let's go do something life-giving and kind and like, but that still feels empowering. And like, you're not just sitting here feeling all the feelings. Does that make sense? Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 That's really helpful. And I would love if you would maybe send me a couple of those names. I tried to sure. type them while you sure. were saying, but I'd love to add sure. those to the show notes for everybody. Absolutely. Um, oh my God. I, I could just talk to you all day long. I have a hundred more fun. questions. I'm oh. going to have to have you come back. Um, oh, I guess I'll have to do it. You're that just going to have to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, do you only work in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, or if people are interested, can they reach out and connect with you? Well, they can. So, you know, state guidelines, we have to be careful. I'm not licensed across the United States. Um, and with PhD work, honestly, I'll have to look and see what the new, the new guidelines are around that um, as far as state lines. But sometimes people will come and see me for an intensive and then I'll follow up with them virtually for a while. Um, that's kind of my way around it is, hey, come see me. Let's hang out for a day, half a day, a weekend, whatever. Um, get you jump started and then we can have some follow up sessions. Um, nice. So, yeah. So I'll do that with people that live out of the state. I also do workshops. So like I'm happy. I love like public speaking and like em empowering the masses. So if people want to, you know, create a workshop, that's like I geek out on that stuff because it's like, let's get the whole community excited about it. So that's right. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So where can they find you? Um, you can look me up on the internet. So if you Google Carissa K, my website, I love us intimacy.com should come up pretty easily. Instagram and Facebook is I L U relationships. Um, yeah, that'd be, I mean, social media, my website, pretty easy to stock. Beautiful. And we'll have those in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, just look at the show notes and click yeah. and go visit Carissa and find out more about her services and what she yeah. has available. This was great. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us, for sharing your like incredible wisdom and experience. Thank you. Well, I am seriously honored and I appreciate the opportunity and I hope it blesses and helps people on their journey through, um, experiencing pleasure and healthy sexual relationships because those have so much power to energize us. I mean, I think research says like for a dyad, not to be a dork as we're wrapping up here, but it's kind of my uh, litigation for why people should do it. Healthy sexual relationships from monogamous relationships contribute to up to 20% of the relationship. 
And when a sexual relationship is unsatisfactory or, or struggling, it will drain a couple of 75 to 90% of its energy. Wow. That's insane. I so believe that's a, that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> so that's, you know, sex is important. It has the power to be very energizing and healing and keep us going when other parts of the relationship aren't doing so hot, but it also has the potential to take people in opposite directions, unfortunately. So I think it's by design an important facet of healthy adulting. Absolutely. So thank you, Karen. Thank you very much. Carissa, thank you. And we will be back again real soon with another episode of Healthy Romantic Relationships. Until then, you take care. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.